there are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Bo Eva Tavshim Pegimel Shabbos Mavarchim for Kodesh Shabbat and a warm, warm welcome to all of our radio family. Thank you so, so much for taking the time on a Friday afternoon to join us, to be with us, to hopefully get some chizuk, get some encouragement, maybe learn something we didn't know before, which we can bring to our own Shabbos table and enrich our own experience of the parsha, our own experience of, of Shabbos, and, and what we can impart to our friends and family sitting around the Shabbos table, because that's what Shabbos is for, for spending time to learn and discuss Torah topics. So let's go straight to the end of the parsha. We know... In this week's Pasha, we have all, or not all, but seven of the ten plagues that were visited upon the Egyptians are mentioned in this week's Pasha. And the final one in this week's Pasha, the seventh, is the Makkah, the plague of Borod, of hail. And the Torah says, Vayhi Borod There was hail throughout the entire land of Mitzrayim, ala Adam al-Bema, on man, on animals, the alcohol ace of Asode, and on all the grass in the land of Egypt. Now, was the Torah really could have just said that hail would rain down throughout the land of Egypt. Why do we have to tell the details, man and beast and grass, that really needs some, some elucidation? So, the Briskorov, Thou learned from this kind of excess words of the Pasuk that, in fact, this Barad, the hell, descended only on those places wherein man or animals were to be found. In other words, in those areas uninhabited by man or animal and where grass did not grow, no hail came down. Furthermore, Earlier when Paro was warned to quickly gather the animals to safety, it was not meant specifically to bring the animals inside so that they should be protected by having a roof over their heads. The intention was to inform Paro that the borod will fall only on those men and animals that were outside. Those were under cover, regardless of how flimsy that cover might actually be, was spared from the effects of, of the bar. Now, in his Sefer, Masa Samelach, so Rav, Rav Shimon Moshe Diskin, applies this idea to explain the Pasuk. says, Hayore estevar Hashem me'avde paro, whoever feared the word of Hashem amongst the slaves of paro, heinis esavodav yesmikneu el elabotim. Right? Whoever feared the word of Hashem chased his servants and his livestock into the houses. Now, why does the Torah attribute what seems to be a very sort of commonsensical decision to Yirashamayim? Surely, any Egyptian who wanted to live, if he possessed even a, a, a modicum of intelligence, had seen Moshe Rabbeinu's warnings, right? And they all of them materialized into devastating plagues. It was not a, a question of Yiras Shomayim, but rather of common sense. Therefore, we have to say, explains Avdiskin, that some Egyptians, for reasons of their own, did not want to take their animals into their homes. Instead, they could have built a simple, flimsy hut to cover their livestock. Indeed, as explained by the Riskorov, it was not necessary 
for them to build a solid structure of steel and mortar. As long as it had a cover on top, the livestock would have been protected. The mere fact that these Egyptians did not settle for a fragile shack indicated their fear of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rather than simply get by, they wanted to carry out the words of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Soul to soul, we'll come back with lots, lots more after the break. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vo'era, Tav Shin Pegim, Shabbos Mavorchim, Chodesh Shabbat, this is Rosh Chodesh, will be Be'ez Hashem, this coming Monday, very, very exciting as we get ready for Chagam Tu Bishvat, but we are dealing with the Pasha this week and next week of the ten plagues of the Esamakas that led to the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And it's very, very important for us to learn and go through the whole story of the Exodus from Mitzrayim. In fact, the Chidush Yarim says that every single Jew needs to learn the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in the same way and with the same depth that we learn the discussions in the Gemara between Abaya and, and Rava because there's tremendous understanding, tremendous clarity, tremendous insight, and tremendous emuna for all of us in, in so doing. In fact, the Noemani Melech writes in next week's Pasha that the, the, the purpose and the benefits of talking about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is, first of all, not only for ourselves or we gain, but it also brings about tremendous revenge to all of our enemies. And I quote, he says, Pasuk says next week's Pasha, Ulaman tisaper ba'oznei bincho ben bincha, in order that you should tell over to your, into the ears of your children and your grandchildren. Says that since when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in His tremendous compassion and mercy, does miracles for the Jewish nation, even if He does it just once, and because of His miracles takes revenge and exacts punishment from our our enemies, so then that arouses in Shemayim tremendous, tremendous compassion and mercy for us. And and that helps not only for that particular situation, for that particular crisis that Hashem helps us, but it's an investment also for the future in every single generation when the Jews need to take revenge from whatever uh, enemy or whatever uh, 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 people it is that hate them, who stand up against them and try to uh, destroy them or to try to dominate them or to rule over them, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, takes revenge against those nations. Why? Because that power that desire, that strong burning need that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to defend us and look after us has already been awakened many, many generations ago. Already from the time of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Hashem has looked after us. Hashem has wanted to make sure that nothing terrible happens to us. And He's, he's our number one ally. And that strength is there all the time for our defense. And that's what it says, Ulaman Tisapas, that you'll tell over to all generations. Asher is salalti bimitzayim. How Akadosh played with, Hashem toyed with the, the, uh, the, the Egyptians. Right? And, uh, when you tell this over to your children, so that again arouses them and arouses the tremendous mercy. And Hashem not only uh, uh, well, as he did then, took revenge, Hashem will continue to take revenge from our enemies that they will not be able to cause us any pain, any suffering for the rest of, of, of time. The Bnei Sacher 
in Agra Dekala, Pashas Ekev brings down that within the power of talking about and telling over the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is um, even more to arouse for ourselves tremendous miracles for the Jewish nation. When we talk about and tell and marvel and, and speak in superlatives about the miracles that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did for us in Mitzrayim, that creates an energy that Hashem wants nothing more than to do similarly magnificent miracles for all the Jewish nation. And he says, if it will happen, that there'll be some kind of a terrible calamity on the Jewish nation. So when we talk about and mention and speak about the miracles of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that will help us to alleviate those problems and, and, and do miracles to save us from whatever tsarists there are. Uh, the Besyankov from Alexander brings on the uh, the tremendous positive influences that came to the Jewish nation through the Makas that were visited upon the Egyptians. And therefore, also through, if, if, if uh, the Makas themselves had just positive influences for us, so talking about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, we also draw down to us that same positive energy that we had then. And he says, again, that's the apostle, tell it over, speak about it. He says, he heard from his, from his Rebbe, the Rebbe of Pashkisa, that it's well known that all the Marcus that reached, that affected the, the Egyptians, so they affected, whatever affected negatively the Egyptians was in fact a type of a, of a, of, of a healing for the Jewish nation. For instance, by Makastam, by the plague of blood, so all the Jewish nation was healed from a, uh, any kind of hemorrhoids they had, they were healed from that. Right? And women who didn't at that time have a normal uh, a cycle, so that that was that was sorted out. It, it became normal again during the Makkah of Down. The Makkah of Tzifadeya, so we know the Jews were all healed from any worms, those who had the worms inside their body. It was all healed. And perhaps you can say that uh, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hardened Paro's heart and, and the hearts of, of his servants, so that also had a positive effect on the Jewish nation that anyone who had any kind of a psychological condition was healed from that. And we, we, we developed a tremendous emuna, tremendous belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our hearts and a tremendous emuna. In our tzaddikim, in our, in our leaders. As they said, They believed in Hashem and in Moshe's servants. And we, and we were strengthened and we were able to sort of really, uh, 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 bring deep, deep into our conscious, the emun of our Kodesh Baruch Hu. And, and not only in their own hearts, in the hearts of their children, and it was implanted until the end of all generations. That's it's something that lasts in fact forever and we're still living from from uh, from that. The the Mavish in Dvarim Rabbah explains the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, The tremendous uh, signs and the, that you that you saw about and the wonders by the strong hand with Hashem used to take you out of Mitzrayim. So, So to Hashem will do to all the nations which you are afraid of them. What are these oysters? What were these signs? So the Rabbanan say that they actually were were imprinted on their physical bodies, etc., etc. Now, the in, in this forward to the Sefer Beis HaGadol, so it's brought there that uh even 
says, I'm going to tell you something amazing, what I think, uh, based on something in the Haggadah of Lel Pesah, where it says, Rabbi Yehuda had these acronyms of Ditzach, Adash, Bachav, where all the Sfarim sort of really go to, to town trying to figure out why did Rabbi Yehuda have to tell us this? Why do you have to shorten the Esamachas? So he says, the, according to my opinion, so it's actually, there's a mistake in, in the text. And it really should have said, Rabbi Yehuda, I mean, Rabbi Yehuda says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put the letters, the Tzach Adash Bachav, into the flesh of every single mitzri. As we said, it was, it was inscribed on their flesh, the Eser, the Eser Not that Rabbi Yehuda used acronyms, but that those ten letters were actually written, uh, etched into the flesh of every single Egyptian. We'll come back in a moment. There's so much more we want to talk about. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul. We're back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vo'era, Tuf, Shin, Pe'gim, what's also Shabbos Mavorachim for Kodesh, Shabbat, Tuba Shabbat is only just over two weeks away. We are talking about the Esamakas, the ten plagues, and the effect they had on the Egyptians and on the Jewish on the Jewish nation. We just said that, in fact, the ten plagues were actually inscribed, etched into the flesh of every single Egyptian. And what comes out of what we've said until now is that really there are three levels of of a muna of trust in Baruch Hu. Number one is the intellectual level of a muna that a person in his mind understands and is able to, to grasp the fact that there's nothing else in this world besides HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Above that is a Muna that translates beyond the intellect, but actually reaches down even to one's heart. That a person can feel emotionally that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge, that everything that happens is because of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And on top of even that, is the emunah we feel in every one of our limbs. That even our limbs are able to feel that our Kaddish Baruch Hu knows every single thing that we do, that we do, and not only our, our actions, but even our, our thoughts. Even a Jew who talks over and tells over and relates to his family and to his children and to the next generation these stories of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, merits that those Marcus will 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 actually actually be be entrenched in him and in his flesh. In other words, that the emuna that comes through talking about the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim will will actually sort of creep down all the way into his his very very limbs. And his emunah will not only be something intellectual, and even won't, won't even be something only that's that's uh, emotional. It's going to be actually, it's going to be drilled into his very, very body until even his physicality won't be able to do something that goes against the will of will of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. I remember just a few weeks ago when I was in in nursery school. So the the Ganana, the, the the kindergarten teacher used to tell us that only the Mitzrayim were, were affected by the Esamakas, and the Yidin who lived in Eretz Goshen were not affected at all. And in fact, that is backed up by the writings of the Rambam in Perusha Mishnayis in. Mesechas Avos, where he explains where it says, Asara Nisim Nasul Mitzrayim. Ten miracles were done to the Jewish nation in Mitzrayim. And the Ramam explains, but the Esen Nisim that were done to our forefathers in Mitzrayim were the fact that we were saved from the ten Makas. And since every single Maka was unique, that it affected only the Egyptians and not the Jews. 
And those were the Nisim, without any doubt, he says, those are the miracles we experienced in Mitzrayim. And in fact, the, the, the Torah, in almost every Makkah, uh, expresses that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought the Makkah on the Mitzrayim, uh, uh, and not on the Jews, with the exception of the Makkah of Kinim, with the Makkah of Lice, where it doesn't say that, but it's well known that the Jews, says Rabbah, were not, were not punished. But the lice were in their environment, but they didn't cause them the pain and the suffering that it caused the Egyptians. And in fact, the Chachamim also explained that way, but the rest of the Marcus, right, it says clearly these only affected the Egyptians and not the Jews. Uh, by the blood, it says that Mitzrayim were not able to drink water from the R, I, in other words, that the damage was only uh, to the Egyptians themselves. By the Tzfarnim, it says, Ubo it's going to come in your houses, in your bedrooms. By the Orov, it says, and I'm going to make distinction Replaced by almost Eretz Goshen. I'm going to make a distinction between Mitzrayim and the land of Goshen. By Dever it says that specifically that not a single uh, one of the Jewish cattle died during this disease of the animals. By Shechin, by the boils it says that the Shechin only affected the magicians and all of Mitzrayim. By Barat it says... Only in Eretz Gaishir Asheshom B'nei Yisrael with the Yidin word Loya Borod. There was no Borod. By Arbe, by the locust it says, by Yala Arbe Al Kol Eretz Mitzrayim. Only on the Egyptians. And by Choshech says, Ulochol B'nei Yisrael Hoya Or B'moishvasa. For the, all the Jews, there was light in their, in their dwelling places. So the Rambam is quite clear that the Jews were not affected at all by the Marcus kingdom, there may have been some kingdom in the environment, but they didn't, they didn't bother them at all. On the other hand, the Ebenezer, in Perik Zion, he says, a tremendous, tremendous big Kiddush. And he says, according to my opinion, the Makkah of Dam and Tzfardea and Kinim, uh, 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 included both the Egyptians and the Jews. Why? Because the, the Psukim say, he says, these three Marcus, the first three Marcus, so a little bit they affected the Jews. And only from Orov on, which were very, very, very difficult Marcus, so there, HaKadosh Baruch made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Jews. So according to the Ebenezer, the first three Marcus also, to a certain, to a limited extent, affected the Jews also. In other words, Eben Ezra is, is being very, very exact in the Pesukim, because the Torah, uh, uh, by, by Orov and onward, makes a specific statement that there was a distinction being made between the Jews and, and the Mitzrayim. Right? Replaced by Yom Huas Eretz Goshen. I'm going to make a distinction between Goshen and the rest of the of the of the nation where there shouldn't be any any Arab Laman Tedas that you should know that I am Hashem in the land. So if therefore if all the Makas affected only the Mitzrayim, so why does the why did it was necessary asks for the Apostle to stress and, and make this point so strongly by the Makkah of of Arab? But what about the first three Makkahs? Surely, if that was so, then the Torah should have said that already much earlier, that by Dam, Hashem made a clear distinction between the Egyptians and the Egyptians, and, and, and the Jews. And therefore, the Evan Ezra is of the opinion that HaKadosh Baruch Hu affected the Egyptians in, in stages. On the first stage, the Makkah affected the Egyptians and, uh, and, uh, and, and also, on a much lower level, also the Jews. The second stage was only the Egyptians were affected. And therefore, Paro understood that, uh, that he is, uh, that he needs to 
since he's suffering, he needs to lower the, the, the suffering of, of the Jewish nation. As it says there, right? Uh, uh, logically, it became clear now that Paro began to sort of let up on the degree of servitude. When he saw that HaKadosh Baruch was making this huge distinction and the Egyptians were suffering and the Jews were not, Power started realizing, so to speak, the writing on the wall and began to, to, uh, make it easier for the Jews and kind of loosen the bondage that they were, that they were under. Now, the Radvaz of Dover ben Zimra, he, Barish comes out very, very strongly against the explanation of the Ebenezer. And he writes, in fact, if you want to see it, it's in the Neshutim of the Radvaz in Chedek Bey's Simon Tav Tav Yud Gimel 813. He says, that which the Ebenezer writes, that the Mark of Dam, Tzvadeah, and Kinem were affected the Egyptians and the Jews, says, It's forbidden to believe such a, such a thing. There are advisors of the opinion that Ebn Ezra made a mistake in understanding the Psukim because it says by each mark, as we said, as we pointed out, that the, the, the uh, import of the marker was only on the Egyptian nation. Even by blood, it says, all the machine were digging around the earth to try to find water to drink. Because they were not able to drink from the waters of, of, of the yard. He says, even more than that, uh, they understood that not only Makastam didn't touch the Jews at all, says the Radvaz, but even the, uh, the, uh, the the Marcus actually uh, uh, caused the Jews to become rich. The Jews made a lot of money off the Marcus of of blood because the Medrash says Amar Av Oven Alevi says by Marcus Dam the Jews became wealthy. How uh, if a Michi and a Jew were lived in one house and there was a barrel full of water and the Mitchy went to get a glass of water and he filled it up and he found blood. If the Jew went to the same barrel and filled it up, he found water. And when the the Jew would uh uh, uh even if the Jew would draw water for the Egyptian, he would drink blood until the 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 Mitzvah was prepared to pay the Jew for the water. Then he would receive water, and therefore the Jews became very wealthy during that that time. Now, so the Radvaz uh, sort of launches a frontal attack on the Radvaz. Now, in order to sort of somehow defend the words of the Ebn Ezra, we perhaps we could say that maybe we could make a distinction between the Marcus that affected and killed living beings also, and people like Orov, mixed the animals or the borrowed or the the hell, because in those in those uh, uh, Marcus where there was death involved, Am Yisrael was not affected at all. But maybe those Marcus that just caused sort of a tsar and, and pain and discomfiture to the Mitzrayim. So maybe the Egyptians also were a little bit affected because it's logical to say that this is uh, 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 something that, uh, that uh, they, okay, maybe it was less than the, the Egyptians, but they could have perhaps, the Ebenezer will hold, been affected at all. Now, the reason why the Jewish nation might also have been affected, particularly, as, uh, as it says, by those first three makas, is because the Torah says the first time Moshe Benu met Amisha. So it says that Vayidabe Moshe Kena Benu gave over the message to Christ that Akarish Prochu had given him at the burning bush about Yisien's Mitzrayim. But Loishamu Moshe. 
They didn't listen to Moshe. Short of breath, the work was too was too hard. And the Sephardim explains that the intention is poshut. They were not able to listen to Moshe. The avodah that was servitude was too difficult for them. That's how he learned. However, in the Medrash, it's it's brought. And Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra says that. It says, They couldn't listen to Moshe because they were short of breath. Now, is there a person that is being given the amazing news about he's going to be get out of jail and he's not happy? How could they have not been prepared to listen to Moshe Ben? Moshe Ben was giving them the best news they could ever have hope for. Right? Imagine you get news that your, your wife had a baby boy. Or your your masters is setting you free. You're not going to be happy? <coughs> if so, why does it say they didn't listen to Moshe? But, so he explains, it was difficult in their eyes to separate themselves from idol worship. The Jewish nation was sunk, sunk, sunk deep into all the immorality, all the Avedizara, all the idol worship, of Egypt, right? Many, many years passed, and uh, and they they got into the, they got really got into Egyptian culture, right? Which was mostly made up of all different kinds of avodah and the, the young generation. Remember, they were there for two hundred years. The young generation was given the chinuch, was given the education, in um, in, in really in this whole atmosphere. Of our and they got used to it, and therefore they started to practice also, and therefore it was necessary to also affect the Jewish nation and punish them, so that they should finally understand that they are not part of Egyptian society. Their place is not here in Egypt, and that's the distinction between a Jew and a non-Jew, right? A non-Jew, no matter how many markers that a Kodesh is going to hit him with, still, he will continue to stick to his Avodah Zara. But by a Jew, when a, a Jew gets a little bit of a clap, so you already can shake off that connection and cause him to abandon the Avodah Zara and do tshuva and come back to HaKadosh to Baruch Therefore, maybe now we can understand the opinion of the Rambam, who says specifically by the Maka of Kinim, that also affected the Jewish nation at all. And the question is, what's the difference? Why is Maka's Kinim any different than any of the other Makas? Why were they specifically this Maka that the Jewish nation was affected? So perhaps understanding is that by this Maka, particularly this, this Maka of Kinim, that was where we see in the Pasuk that the Khartumim, that the, the magicians of Mitzrayim realized, came to the realization, and they said, Oh, it's Balakimhi. This is the finger of Akadish Baruchu. And in, in that way, this is the, the major distinction and that sort of the, 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 the fault line between the Jews and the, the Egyptians. Because Amisho, through that recognition that this is at Etzbalakim, they abandoned the Avarizar of the Matrium, but the Matrium, they remained in, in, in their summer. So we needed that little bit of a wake up call by the, by the, uh, Kingdom, but it did its job and, and, and woke us, woke us up. While we're talking about that, the very first Maka of the Esamakas, we said, was the Maka of, of Dam. And Rashi says, what was the reason that the first Maka was that the Ya'ar, the Nile River, turns into, into blood? It says, cause the Matrium serve the Nile River. And therefore, Hashem first punished their, their Ya'ar, their God, and then punishes them. And it seems difficult. Because by the mark of Orov in Perches, it says, Paro gives permission to Moshe to bring Korbanus. But 
not to leave in Mitzrayim, he's allowed to bring Kabbalists, and not to go out to the desert. And Moshe refuses. He says, well, how are we going to take the gods of the Egyptians and sacrifice them, lay Nam in front of the eyes, the Loyiskalunu, they're not going to stone us? In other words, that since the Mitzrayim served sheep, if so, <laughs> what was going to happen? If, if, if we, if we, uh, if we sheltered them, right? Uh, what would, what would the, uh, the, you know, who, who was, so the question is, who was in fact the god of the Egyptians? Was it the Nile or was it the sheep? So, in fact, uh, Rabatiel, one of the Rishonim asked this question and he answers that they had many, many gods and each one served whichever one he thought, whichever Provided him the greatest service, that was the one that he served. Those who were shepherds served sheep. Those who were farmers served the Nile. And therefore we can say that even Paro, who made himself a god, and he said, I made the, the, or it's, it's, you know, my creation. And therefore, if Rabbeinu Apartheid is correct, that those Mitzrayim that were, that served the, the, the community and, uh, and they got their, let's say their, they were civil servants and got their salaries from Paro. So they saw Paro as, as their gods. In other words, by the Metrium, their, their gods was based on whom they needed the most in their lives. If their Parnassa came from sheep, then sheep is the god. If their Parnassa came from uh, the Nile, then the Nile is their God. If their Parnassa came from Paro, then Paro is his God. And therefore we can understand a very interesting Medrash that says that Paro was not affected by the Mark of Dam. It says you find by the Mark of Dam that Paro was not uh, a punishment. As it says, by Yif and Paro the other way. So Paro turned around, he was not affected. Why? So two reasons are given. First of all, it was a reward to Paro because he actually let Moshe Rabbeinu grow, grow up in his his house. Nefakarosprochu extended largesse to him. And secondly, that all the Egyptians should idolize Paro yet more. Look, all the Nile was affected, but not Paro, right? But later on, he got punished. The problem was that when the power didn't get punished, his thought process was, you see, I'm even greater than the Nile. The Nile was punished, but because I'm a greater God than, than the Nile, that's why I was saved. And that's why when it came to the Tzadaya, Paro was punished uh, 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 first. And that's why, because Makastam was an attack against their gods, and Paro, since he felt himself that he was even a greater god than the than the than the Nile, and he didn't see the Nile as as anything special, so therefore there was no reason at all that Paro should be punished by the Maka of Dam, which affected the gods of Israel. This is why one point nine. Hi, fan. The program is soul to soul. We'll be back in a moment with our halacha segment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh Parshas, Vo'era, Tav Shin, Pei, Gimel, as we get ready for another amazing, amazing Shabbos. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for putting on your radio device, whatever it is that you're listening to. To tune in and hopefully become a little bit wiser, become a little bit more educated, become a little bit more entrenched in your Yiddishkeit than you were before. As we always do at this point on the show, just to give you the very important details of what you need to know about this coming Shabbos. So, this afternoon, the earliest time for lighting your candles, we're going to call it 54020 to six, maybe a little bit early, a few seconds, but let's say 20 to six is the earliest time one can light one's Shabbos candles, and that's a challenge. That's, uh, you know, the, the, the red flag in front of the bull. Let's see if we can manage. It's still a long Friday, 
and now we're all back into work mode and, and sort of normal routine mode. But let's see if we can't sort of get it all together so that the food is hot, irrespective of whether we're having load shedding or not having load shedding or anticipating load shedding or not anticipating load shedding, whatever it might be. Let's get our heads around it and let's try to get Shabbos going in our homes as quickly as uh, and expeditiously as possible. 5.40, we can already put on the candles. The latest time for benching licht is at 6.46. 6.46 is the latest time. It's already one minute earlier than it was last week. We're heading, we're heading back towards towards uh, uh, winter. So 6.46 is the latest time for, for benching lit. Although, of course, many communities accept the standard Johannesburg Shabbos acceptance time in the summer as being 6.15, quarter past six. And of course, by the time your community gets to the point where they are finishing the Chodoidi, starting Mizmah Shliyama Shabbos, if it's before that 6.46 time, then you are kind of bound by your community, and you really should have started Shabbos by that by that time. But 6.46 is the deadline, and although Shkia, a sunset, is at 7.04, please, again, don't rely on that time between 6.46 and 7.04 for anything that really is just, as I say, injury time for desperate situations. Otherwise, 6.46, everything is on hold. Shabbos is in the home, and we are sort of simmering down and getting into the environment, getting into the mood, getting into the vibe of of what Shabbos is all is all about. Shkia is 7.04, so therefore, if you want to wait and be able to dive in Mayrev at night and say, Kriya and not have to repeat it again, or at least uh, if you want to say Shema before you begin your meal, which if you didn't daven uh, late enough to be fulfilled the mitzvah of Krishma, and you need to say it again, so it's ideal to say it before one sits down to to supper, so one has to wait till about 22 minutes past 7, and then you can say the Krishma, and then of course you're invited to make Yiddish and sit down to a royal Shabbos sumptuous feast with some great food and really good company and as we'll say some Torah, some Zemiras make it a beautiful beautiful Shabbos Shabbos experience tomorrow morning of course is Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Vaera Vaera of course is the Parsha in which we actually read about most <coughs> of the plagues that HaKadosh Baruch Hu visited upon the Egyptian actually 7 out of the 10 are mentioned in this week's in this week's Parsha and the Haftarah is the standard Haftarah for Pashas Vaera, but it is Shabbos Mavorchim. Rosh Chodesh Shabbat will be Bez Hashem on Monday. So therefore, after the Haftarah, we're going to say Rosh Chodesh Benshin for Chodesh Shabbat, only one day Rosh Chodesh, which means that Tuba Shabbat is only two weeks away. Obviously, no Avrachim, no Askaras, at Shachras because we're making Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Benshin and the day carries on. It's yeah, still quite long. Yes, it, Shabbos does end at 7.38, which is one minute shorter than last week, but it still gives us plenty of time to have a, a beautiful, beautiful afternoon, have a shlaf, spend some family time, and of course, learn some Torah because that really, as I say, is the most important part of what Shabbos is all is all is all about at this point. Also, of course, it's appropriate to think of and and uh, realize that we need to daven and put in a good word for all the choylem, all the ill people, all those that need our, our tillis. Let's perhaps set aside time before we before we light candles to daven to say a few prokem of of tehillim for all those who need who need our 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 davening. We are talking about. We are in the Malacha of, of Bishel, and we were talking last week about cooking and, and the permissibility and non-permissibility of cooking liquid, of heating liquids that had cooled down to their, to below 
sort of to room temperature and the situation of whether you would be allowed to heat them up again. And we basically said that if they're going to get to a heat of above uh, which according to many is about 45 degrees, then one cannot heat them up on Shabbos because that is considered a new act of, of, uh, of, of cooking. And, and as we've learned, we spoke last week about the opinion of the Rambam and the Rashba and the Ran. So they all hold that this principle of Ein Bishel Acha Bishel, that something cannot be cooked a, a second time. So they hold that that applies not only to solid food, but even to liquid foods. And according to them, if you've completed a cooking process, even though the item has subsequently cooled down, literally to, let's say, room temperature, you're allowed to heat it up to a heat and beyond the heat of, of Yatsa lettuce pie. And uh, that uh, there are many, many that follow, of the, the Temonim, excuse me, those communities, follow the opinion of, of the Rambam. And therefore, based on that, if, let's say I made a soup on Erev Shabbos, and I put it now in the in the fridge. I'd be allowed on Shabbos to take it out of the fridge and to place it in in a place where it could actually uh, a heat a heat spot where it could actually get heated up to boiling point. And and uh, and the same applies, let's say, also to a to a to a gravy. And any other liquid type of food. So that, those who follow the Rambam would conduct themselves, uh, that way. However, the, the Ashkenazim follow, as usually do, the opinion of the Ramah, that he kind of makes a bit of a, a compromise between the two opinions. He says that if the liquid foods has cooled down to the point where we wouldn't usually eat such a food because it's no longer desirable. It's already at room temperature. You're not going to eat a soup that has cooled down to room temperature. You don't want a cup of coffee that's that cold. So in that type of food, it's forbidden to heat it up to a heat of even of Yatsa lettuce play. But if there's still remaining in it some of its warmth, then, in other words, it hasn't cooled down totally, then you'd be allowed to heat it to a heat of, of, of Yatsalelispa. And that's because, fundamentally, the Ramah holds like the Rambam. That even on liquid food, there is the principle of you, that you cannot cook something a second time. But, according to his opinion, that uh, once the, all the heat has gone away and it's cooled down all the way to to room to room temperature, so then the cooking process is gone, and then you cannot cook it, you cannot heat it up uh, uh, again, uh, based on on a, on, a, on, a, on a decree of the of the of, of the chachamim. Okay, we're going to come back with some more. Just after the break, this is 101, 101.9. The program is Chai FM, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, soul to soul, back on your radio area of Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Vo'era, Tavshin, Pei Gimel, as we prepare for an amazing Shabbos, Shabbos Mavochen for Chodesh Shvat, we are talking about the permissibility, or otherwise, of heating up liquid food that has already been been cooked. So we said this is of, of the Paiskim, and it comes out, the Mishnah Bur brings this, that let's say someone who follows the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch or the, or the Ramah that uh, 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 forbids really heating up uh, liquid fruit from a cold state. And let's say you're invited on Shabbos, 
by someone who follows the customs of the of the Rambam, where they would be allowed to heat up a cold soup on Shabbos. So and and he now the Balabosta comes and brings out some piping hot soup that she probably took out of the fridge that morning and and heat it. So you're allowed to eat the soup that that she uh, 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 serves to you because since the the host is following halacha and following their custom and their minug, so every Jew is allowed lechatkila to eat his cooked food. Mishlombur brings that in Shin Yudches Sifkot and Beis. But if someone follows the the uh, the psak of the of the Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah, so such a person would not be allowed to ask, let's say someone who follows the the uh, opinion of, of the Rambam, which says you're allowed to heat liquids up, and uh, the the other person would not be allowed to ask him to heat up some soup on their on their behalf. Why? Because since according to this, the, the, according to the Oscars Minig, that particular activity is also because they follow the opinion of the Ramah that you cannot take something that's uh, room temperature and heat it up. Therefore, they are not allowed to ask someone else to whom it would be permitted to do that act for them. However, let's say you, uh, you said, let's say you're invited and you're eating together with that person. So then the guest we said is allowed to follow the minhagim of his host and, and, uh, have the warmed up soup even, even for, for himself. And therefore he'd be allowed to, uh, to, to share it, uh, with, with his host. If it's in his home, then he is, uh, uh, you, you follow his particular, his particular, uh, uh, custom. Well, that's all the time we have for this Shabbos. I don't know, the time always seems to run, run away with us, but it's been an amazing, amazing pleasure spending the last few minutes with, with you. And it's just left for me to wish you an amazing, amazing, wonderful Shabbos, a Shabbos not only warm in temperature, but a warm in inspiration, warm in beautiful, beautiful family kind of togetherness and, and, and spirit. And may the Chodesh Shabbat, the month of Shabbat, be a month of Shabbat, of Simcha, and Brocha, and Taiva, happiness, blessing, and all kinds of goodness. To all of our radio family, we wish a beautiful, good, good Shabbos.